You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Glad you guys are here. Love getting back into the swing of podcasts after a little bit of a break. I mean, I know we've had a couple, but I'm getting back into the recording stream of things, and so it's just me sitting in my closet today, girls, and have my cup of tea. It's a very foggy day today. It's very cold, actually. So I cranked the heat and I'm hiding out in my closet. So I don't know why I feel the need to sometimes paint the scene. However, sometimes some of y'all come up and talk to me at church and you'll just feel like you're sitting in the closet here with me. And so it's just a chance for us to sit here and chat today. So if you're new to the podcast, yes, Amy sits here in her closet and records podcasts about the Bible. (laughs) That's what I do, and that's what I love. And what our whole purpose of this podcast is to be women that are fully devoted to God's Word. And I mean that, man, to my core. I challenge myself with it. I challenge you gals with it, that we want to always be measuring the things that we see in this world with what the Bible says. What does God's Word tell us to do? And are we really being obedient to that? Or are we we kind of letting some things slide? Are we buying some cultural messages? So that particularly, that that last part, that cultural message thing, that's what I want to talk about today. I talked a little bit about this, or at least I gave you a little bit of a what I'm hoping was a foundation to thinking about the kind of Christian that we are. Not because we're we wanting to buy into a label. In fact, I actually think it kind of needs to be the opposite, because what we want to be is Christians as the Bible defines us to be. But what's happened as we observe this ever so darkening world around us is we have this sense of other sources trying to define what it means to be a Christian. And sadly, even some churches falsely defining what it means to be a Christian, as opposed to really looking to the Bible, what does Jesus call a Christian? What what should that look like? So I was trying to last week, you know, kind of set that foundation of figuring out what kind of Christian are we? Are we the kind that want to read Ephesians 2, like we looked at last week, and and say, man, I'm in for all these first 10 verses, like the whole thing. That was the example we give. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to what kind of Christian am I? Because we just kind of camped out on Ephesians 2 a bit, because the first couple verses of that, man, kind of hard hitting, kind of talk about some things that sometimes we don't like to talk about, but we sure do like it when it starts on verse 4, and it says, but God. And it's a powerful verse, and the rest of that passage is so key for us as believers, and we love that part. But we also need to be Christians that ascribe to the first three verses of Ephesians 2 as well. In some ways, I feel like that that just that little passage, that little snippet of Scripture, hopefully is depicting us here on the Devoted Podcast, that we're women that want to be in for all of it, not just the parts that make us feel good. In fact, I think that's something we need to be cautious of when of our feelings and that kind of stuff, but really being submitted to what the Word of God says for us, and especially when it's contrary to Scripture. And I say especially because sometimes those can be the hardest things for us to buy into, because that's not what maybe our family is telling us or our coworkers or the people we go to school with, or you know, they're saying, well, do we need to read the Bible quite like that? Do you really need to be that kind of a crazy Christian? And we get kind of some pushback on that. 
So I'm wanting to explore this, and we probably will spend a couple episodes just maybe camping out on a few of what I'm going to call cultural Christianity and the different ways, maybe even the different hats that we see cultural Christianity in our culture today. And my purpose with it is that I want us to be able to market. I want us to be able to know what this is so that we can we can see it. We can, if it's us getting sucked into something that is more of a cultural Christianity as opposed to how the Bible would ascribe us to rightly be walking our Christian faith out. I want us to note those differences. It's a lot easier, I think, that if we recognize these things. Because if you don't, you're you're more prone to just kind of go along with the flow. And you might even give into that, well, that kind of sounds good. So that's part maybe that's okay. But that's where I hope that you all are challenged to continue to go back to your Bibles, to continue to search the scriptures for yourselves and go, man, what does the Bible say about these things? Because it's absolutely all the time, 100% relevant for us today. I think that's amazing. That's one of those things. Have you ever heard that when people say, well, you know, I read the Bible, but it's, you know, it's it's an old book. I don't really know how it's relevant to me today. (laughs) I'm not trying to sound condescending or in any way patronizing if that's something that you have thought, but I actually think that we need to mark that little thought, capture that thought, and line that up too. Because first of all, the Bible's not a book about you. It's not a book about me. It's about God. It's about the God who created us and his redemptive path that he has for us from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's amazingly applicable for our life. But the application alone isn't why we study the scriptures. So I could get off on a tangent on that. We've done other podcasts on how to study scripture and things like that. And we're going to continue to talk about that because those are just things that are good reminders for us. And and hopefully we're all just growing and walking along in wanting to know the word of God more. But the messages that we can see in culture that I want us to kind of just notice, because it sort of has a slow creep if you think about it, as we look at contrast for maybe for where we were even as a country 200 years ago to today. I was reading a statement a few weeks back that was, I don't know if it was the mission statement or something, but it was it was something that was plainly and clearly the sort of the motto for Harvard University back in the day. Now, when I read this, you're going to go, wow, that was really back in the day. But I want you to listen to this statement, and, and I have to even kind of watch as I read it because it even has some old English spelling in here a little bit. It's, it's that old. But the statement that Harvard University, when they began as a institution for education, this is what they said. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. And then it went on, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom, meaning the foundation, as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Did you think I was accidentally reading the statement to maybe a seminary somewhere? Or, well, to be fair, Harvard had a seminary when they first began. But no, that's Harvard University. Okay, Let every student be plainly instructed, earnestly pressed to consider The end of his life is to know God and Jesus Christ. Wow, that is really profound to think about that that used to just be a very common motto, a very common mission, vision statement for a school, any kind of school really, but particularly one of higher learning that 
it was assumed that you recognized that you as a student were wanting to explore what the main end of your life is. What's the whole purpose? What are we here for? And Harvard University rightly said and that the main end of life is to study, to know God and Jesus Christ. How interesting. This is one of those things that in our pursuit to look at something and go, wow, how does that line up with Scripture? We can look at this and go, that lines up with Scripture. Because Scripture tells us that we are, we're here for his pleasure. It tells us in Revelation that we are here to glorify God. So is it glorifying to the Lord to know him and Jesus Christ and to put Jesus as the foundation of all sound knowledge and learning? Absolutely. So we could, we could have back in the day looked at that theme, that motto for Harvard University and gone, yeah, this is a good pursuit. This is where we want to be. Now, today, when you read the University of Harvard's about page and you try to dig into what their mission is, it's a, it's not quite as concise of a statement. Perhaps there is one, but I didn't find one. But you find all kinds of things about what their culture is and, you know, even some decent statements. You know, they're one of their things that they put that it's a, a, a vibrant crucible of intellectual activity, research, knowledge creation, learning and teaching that results matter and creativity flourishes. And then it also will talk about their inclusivity and their diversity and, you know, all of these things that maybe sound pretty good, but not one word that said anything like the statement I just read to you, right? I mean, you're not going to find anything about that Jesus Christ needs to be the foundation of learning at Harvard University these days. So I'm sure you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, that's not very surprising because, you know, all, there isn't many colleges, large Ivy League schools like that, that, that Jesus is their focal point. And you're right. But does it surprise you that really, I mean, I suppose 200 years sounds like a long period of time, but in the scope of history, it's not that long. And they began as an institution that was focused on knowing that the end of our life was to know God and Jesus Christ. That was our purpose. And therefore, then anything that they were striving for education-wise was to further that goal. When you scour their website now, you're not going to find things like that because that's not their purpose anymore. So where what happened along the line with Harvard? You know, there's just this maybe a slow creep, maybe in the last couple of years, it seems like it's not really a creep anymore, but it's like actually a sprint of leading to a place that is further and further away from the Lord, further and further away from knowing God as even being remotely a priority. In fact, not only should it not be a priority to the world, perhaps, but it's we just don't even talk about it. Or if we do, it's a little bit within our own sensibilities, but perhaps it's only spoken about in a way that makes us feel comfortable. So that's why I think this cultural Christianity kind of leads us to a place where we have to recognize the places where it has maybe just slightly turned from where scripture would tell us to be. And in some places, it's not so slight, right? It's a giant left turn. So what I'd like us to do is to help us to discern the lies and the practices of what culture is telling us and observing when we have forsaken a biblical perspective for a cultural one. Where do we spot the culture creeping in to even our understanding of the Bible, even into our own understanding of what Christianity means? Where have we compromised? Where have there been little things that we've just gone like, well, 
it, that sounds like 90% okay, so it's probably fine because that's where there's compromise. And then there's other places where I think that we have just outright surrendered as well. My prayer is that as we hopefully mark some of these things about cultural Christianity, it leads us to the end of being the kind of Christian that just opens their Bible and humbly seeks to do what it says. And when we do that, we're going to find two things. We're going to find, first of all, it's going to be completely opposite of culture almost every time. And the second thing we need to be aware of with all of this is that this, us defining Christianity, the Bible, God, Jesus, all of the things in a cultural context as opposed to a biblical one is exactly what the devourer, the enemy, he, that's what he desires for all of us to do. I mean, man, he, he wants to persuade you in any possible way he can, and he'll make it look real good. So recognize the spiritual component in this as well, the things that we're going to talk about, because this is the, looking at cultural Christianity, a cultural definition of what a Christian should look like. Just go ahead and sub in. This is authored by Satan, because this is what he wants. He wants to distort what God's word says. So when we hear distortion, when we see something that's just slightly off the mark, we need to notice that it's it, there's nothing that's just like 10% wrong. It's either right or wrong in this context. And that, again, that's something that culture doesn't love. They love for there to be gray. They don't like this whole idea of, you know, taking the Bible at its word, being so black and white, being so right and wrong. They want there to be a whole lot more nuance with our definitions. But I think scripture just makes it so easy for us. And I have to say, even if, if I lose you on some of this, when in doubt about which direction you want to go, always, you just want to obey God, obey his word. Let your motives be to please him and he will take care of the rest. Don't overcomplicate it. If you're confused about different things about, oh, do I want to do this? Even though it kind of sounds right, look to God's word and obey what it says. It really can be absolutely that simple. So what do we mean by a cultural Christian? So I went to some really deep online sources. Wikipedia, you know? So Wikipedia defines a cultural Christian like this. It says cultural Christians are non-religious persons who adhere to Christian values and appreciate Christian culture. As such, these individuals usually identify themselves as culturally Christians and are often seen by practicing believers as nominal Christians. This kind of identification may be due to various factors such as family background, personal experiences, social context, all of those kinds of things. So Wikipedia is just saying that it's somebody who's actually not very religious at all, but maybe they want, they like different things about Christian culture. Maybe they like the moral aspects of Christian culture. This can be kind of lead into the whole moralism ar argument that they, you just want to identify as, as Christian because we want to do the things that are right, supposedly, right? Like, But then they kind of lose, well, who's defining what's right and what's wrong and kind of neglecting perhaps where that source of right from right and wrong comes from. But it can look that way. You know, there is a within this cultural Christian thing is definitely when the person that I'll give you a quick example of uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who was born Bruce Jenner and was asked a question, a spiritual question, basically what's going to happen on Judgment Day? And he responded by saying, you know, kind of drawing the picture of, you know, going up to the pearly gates and seeing God and, you know, the takeaway being, boy, I hope that I did enough. I hope that I was good enough. I hope that I did great, you know, that you did a good job. 
I'm paraphrasing this quote, but this was the gist of it. And that's the idea of not just Caitlyn Jenner, but a whole host of Americans, a whole host of people across the globe that think that if we just do the right things or if there's something that, you know, we're good enough that when we get to Judgment Day, God will respond to us and say, come on in. That's what Caitlyn Jenner is hoping for. That is a little bit of a picture of what cultural Christianity would say, because that's not in any way uh, couched in a biblical understanding of what it means and what our response is going to be on Judgment Day, what that looks like for us as people. That's just kind of thoughts out of his own mind, right? That's just what he thinks and what he's hoping for, but it's not biblical. That's a good example just of what cultural Christianity might look like. You likely don't have any question how pervasive this is in our culture, but you may have heard when I did a podcast last year with Natasha Crane, she wrote her book is called Faithfully Different. She's written several books on apologetics and things like that. They're excellent books, but this latest one is called Faithfully Different. If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. She puts in there quite a bit of data, especially in the first couple chapters, as she is describing what it looks like, what it means to have a biblical worldview and who ascribes to it and who does not. So this is sort of loosely connected to our conversation here with cultural Christianity, because that is a biblical worldview or or a non-biblical worldview. Everybody's got a worldview. And in just defining where you're going to get that source, where you're going to get that lens that you're going to view and form all of your decisions, how you're going choices, how you're going to live, all of those things is going to come from somewhere, secular or biblical. And, and she really explores these really well. But I wanted to read you just the percentage here that she gives of people that ascribe to a biblical worldview, because it is really, really shocking. But there was a study in, in 2020, they found that only 6% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. Among 18 to 29 year olds, that number drops to 2%. Okay, I'm going to repeat that among 18 to 29 year olds. So those are the folks that are just coming into the workforce. Those are the people that are going to be running our government pretty soon and things like that. Give them another 10, 15 years. That group is 2% that have a biblical worldview. What was even more shocking in this study was that researchers found that just 21% of people that attend evangelical Protestant churches have a biblical worldview. 21% of people going to church have a biblical worldview. Actually, when I first read this, I almost didn't want to believe it. Like I thought, that cannot be. But then even anecdotally, you can look around and you can see that, oh, you know what? That actually is probably true. It's getting increasingly more difficult to find churches and groups that ascribe to a biblical worldview, what the Bible says, than just to kind of go with our feelings in a lot of these things. So her conclusion with all of this, I thought was so profound, but she said that the biblical worldview isn't just shrinking in American culture at large, but it's also shrinking within the church. And this is where I think we find the tentacles of this idea of being a cultural Christian, you know, being Christian by name, but not necessarily really wanting to ascribe to the entire passage in Ephesians, like we talked about in the last episode. We ju- we just kind of want to take the little pieces that are a little easier to swallow, but let's not get too crazy with this whole thing. That's cultural Christianity. And like I said, I think that cultural Christianity wears different hats. And we may, I think we'll probably dig into some of these this year on the podcast. I, I, I don't know if I'll do them 
one after another. We might sprinkle them throughout. But because I do think it is helpful for us to think critically about these things and hopefully with the outcome of being able to mark it as, ooh, you know what? That's not what the Bible says. And I need to look at this as a follower of Jesus, not as is being dictated and being just carried along with the world. And we can see this in all kinds of things. But for today, just I want to just look at what would be some markers of what a cultural Christian might believe. Now, I one of the uh, sites that I have referenced often, and I'm going to put the link to this one in the show notes, is gotquestions.org. It's a great, easy website with answers to Bible questions and different things like that. And I thought they did a really good job with a list of identifying marks of cultural Christianity. And so I'm going to just kind of lean on their list a little bit. But I wanted to begin with a quote that they said on their site, because this is how they were framing this article on cultural Christianity. And it said, in free nations, the gospel is often presented as a costless addition to one's life. Just add church going to your hobbies and charitable giving to your list of good deeds, or add the cross to the trophies on your mantle. In this way, many people go through the motions of, quote, accepting Jesus with no accompanying surrender to his lordship. And now tangent, meaning of his lordship, meaning that a person is truly following the Lord, that they will obey what his instructions are, that true salvation inevitably leads to a changed life. That's what we mean by that. And they went on to say that these people, cultural Christians, who do not abide in Christ are the what we would call cultural Christians. They are branches that hang around the true vine, but have no true attachment. That last line is really interesting to me because we can see people that may say, no, I'm a Christian, and they may even hang out with Christian friends, so-called, but are they truly doing what John 15 talks about, about really abiding in the vine, like really being attached (laughs) to Jesus? Are they doing that? And maybe we'll see some of the markers of that. Ultimately, it's going to be like what we just talked about a few minutes ago, that you're, it's whether you're going to obey what Jesus says or not. Are you going to believe what his word says? Is it going to be your authority? And will you be submitted to it? Or are you just going to kind of do your own thing? Because the answer to that question is going to very much determine which direction you're going to want to go. You're going to be cultural Christian or a true Jesus follower like the Bible says. So I'm going to give a couple of these. We'll see how far we get here. So one of the marks of cultural Christianity is the denying the inspiration of Scripture or parts of Scripture. This is, you know, the the picking and choosing Scripture thing. This is the our example last week of Ephesians, where we want to we like these few verses of Ephesians, but do we have to really talk about those first three that talk about death and sin and all of those kinds of things? It's the picking and choosing kind of Christian. It's also completely antithetical to scripture, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This amazing passage here that Paul gives to Timothy here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I love that it says all, all scripture, not parts of it, not the parts that you like, it's all breathed out by God, and it's all profitable. The thing I love, too, about the profitable thing is you notice it's not profitable for making you feel good, necessarily. It's not profitable for blessing or prosperity, all those things. We'll, we'll get to those in, a, in another marker. But it's, it's actually profitable for teaching. It's going to teach us. It's going to reprove us, meaning there's going to be some instruction, some, uh, some correction, and it's going to train us. Those are a lot of, those are kind of some working words, if you think about it. Teaching, reproof, correction, training. 
those are things that we can expect to receive from Scripture and all of it, all Scripture from the beginning to the end. So a marker of cultural Christianity is they are going to deny that. Either they're going to want to pick and choose, or at the very, very least, they're going to want to say, you know, we don't really know that we can rely on Scripture. They're going to try to point out, like, there's all these inaccuracies and all of these kinds of things. We've done other episodes on that. We'll continue to do episodes on that because I really do think it's very important for us, especially moms, for you to be able to understand and have just even just a nominal understanding of how unbelievably reliable the Scriptures, the Bible that you hold are. It's amazing. It is astounding. And no other work of ancient literature, if they just want to put it at that, can even come close to standing up to the Bible. It's just not even close. So that's a really interesting study. But I would say for sure, all of us as Christians, I think we need to just acknowledge that the Bible that we have is inspired. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, just like it says there, and to trust it. Know that it is reliable. And moms, teach your kids that. Know that they can, uh, so that they know that they can count on it and they don't have to worry. Oh, is there a typo here? Nope, that's probably Google. Your Bible does not. So a marker of cultural Christianity, one of them is that they're going to deny the inspiration of scripture or at least parts of it. Another one is ignoring or downplaying true repentance as the first step to knowing God. And again, this is kind of why I wanted to start with that verse with Ephesians last week, because repentance really is where the whole, this is where the whole party starts, right? You have to be able to acknowledge your own sin. You have to go, oh, your meaning. So culture says I'm basically good. The Bible says, no, you're absolutely not. The Bible says we're children of wrath. Wow. That is quite the contrast to basically good. And I would, that's the basically good lie is something that is really insidious. I mean, and, and it really creeps into so many things, even to how we perhaps want to just give someone the benefit of the doubt sometimes. No, I'm not telling you to be cynical and, you know, just assume that everybody is out to get you or anything like that. But we really, it would be a right biblical understanding to acknowledge that we are all sinners, exactly like Romans says. We are all sinners. And we acknowledging that sin is the very first thing you got to do so that you can repent of it. And when we talk about repentance, we talk about changing our mind and going the opposite direction. Cultural Christianity is going to really want to ignore or downplay that you even need to repent. Man, you are awesome just the way you are. If that's a message that you're hearing, if that's something from a book you're reading or some amazing empowerment speaker that you've heard that wants to tell you how awesome you are, I want you to contrast that with what God's word says. Now, we go too far with this sometimes as Christians because we are dearly, dearly, dearly loved, dearly loved so much that even though we were sinners, even though still in our sin, Christ died for us, it tells us. So even in all of our sin, the Lord loves you and loves me so much, he's willing to die for us. So we're dearly, dearly loved, but we are not basically good. We're children of wrath. That's where we're at. So Okay, cultural Christianity, deny the inspiration of Scripture, ignore or downplay the repentance that that's needed for knowing God. Another one is focusing on Jesus's love and acceptance to the exclusion of his teachings on hell, obedience, and sacrifice. It's real hard to not talk about this one a ton because this is such an issue today. 
this is where we want to talk about the end of Ephesians. We want to talk about the but God and his grace and all of those beautiful, wonderful truths, which are absolutely things that we need to cling to as Christians. But we want to just, can we just not talk about those first three verses, you know? And the culture, the world has done just an amazing job of redefining so many words that really God defined, and he defined them very clearly. Love is a classic one, and we've talked about that one lots before. But I just, just to remind you, just a little snippet of that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, you know, the love is patient, love is kind, that all of those, that really good stuff. Verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 13 says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. That is a phrase that is so often left out of the world's definition of love. Love means kind of whatever you want it to be to the world. It definitely means to tolerate everything, and it definitely means to not make anybody feel uncomfortable. We just need to love and accept and tolerance. If that's the definition of love you are ascribing to, then you are leaving out 1 Corinthians 13, 6, because love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So focusing on Jesus's love and exception at the exclusion of talking about any of these things, sin, hell is another one. You know, lots and lots of churches don't want to talk about hell. They won't ever teach on hell. And I am so, so thankful to be part of a church that goes verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. Because when you do that, you're going to have to talk about repentance and sin and hell and things that might make us squirm just a little bit, because it's going to ask us to make some changes in our behavior. But that's all in scripture. We need all of that. But I, I was listening to somebody the other day that was talking about how someone that they had talked to that didn't like the conversations about hell because they're kind of traumatic and they were worried like how that would just, you know, bother the youth that they were speaking to. And we just we don't want to traumatize them. And there needs to be softer, more relevant ways, I suppose they would put it, of being able to address the gospel, which I don't really I don't understand that at all. Because I'm sorry, hell should be traumatic. It really should. It's not a place we want to go. But they avoid, the cultural Christian is going to avoid talking about unpleasant things. Maybe they say things like, you know, we just want to talk about things that we're for and not what you're against. That's another one of those sayings that sounds really good. But think about that saying for a little bit. And then, like we, I always challenge you, go to your Bible. Does Jesus talk about things that we're against? Oh, he totally does. I love in John 8 when that's a story with the woman caught in adultery. And it's a beautiful story. But the very last part of it is he says to the woman, and I don't think he's saying it in an angry, mean voice, but he says, go your way and sin no more. So go your way. But he doesn't say keep sinning, keep walking in a life of adultery. He doesn't say that. He says, actually, no, don't sin anymore. Don't do that. So Jesus talks about things that he talks about that we need to be walk away from our sin. In John 8, 34, Jesus said, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And unless we're going to being a slave to sin in a really positive, rosy context, that's going to be kind of a tough sell. Jesus is telling us to not stay in our sin. That our sin is what enslaves us. It, it it traps us. It holds us down and binds us. We need to come away from that. We need to walk away from our sin. So Jesus talks about that all over in Paul's letters, tons and tons of stuff that is said about how we need to walk away from our sin. That's something that cultural Christianity isn't going to want to talk about too much. They don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about how you might need to be obedient to something else. They certainly don't want to talk about self-sacrifice 
where that you have to deny something that you want because the God of this culture is pretty much happiness, right? If it feels good, if you are happy, then then good. But if you're not, then man, you better change something. Another marker of cultural Christianity is tolerating or even celebrating ongoing sin while claiming to know God. I won't camp out on this one too much because I do feel like we have talked about this quite a bit. But the issue that comes to mind most clearly, I mean, there's lots you could talk about, but for sure, homosexuality, yes, the Bible says it's wrong. Even Christian churches now are celebrating, not just tolerating anymore, but they're celebrating ongoing sin. Now, I always, whenever people hear this, some people will go, oh, why are you camping out on that? Why are you condemning that sin over another? Don't hear that because sin is sin. And sexual immorality is sexual immorality. I don't care how, which, what term you want to throw in there. Any kind of sexual immorality is sin. And that's just one of them. We just, unfortunately, in our culture, we have this thing among churches and Christians and non-Christians, but I suppose that one is not as surprising. But for sure, we see so many churches with the rainbow on their billboard outside. Or you see things on their website that, you know, make sure they put a statement in that they affirm the gay lifestyle and all of those things. That is celebrating ongoing sin. But they say that they do that while claiming to know God. That is a mark of cultural Christianity, that you have to go against what God's word says in order to ascribe to that type of Christianity. Another one, redefining scriptural truths to accommodate culture. So, you know, we've talked about this one before, too, because this is whether you're redefining love, like we said before, or redefining marriage, because we want to be culturally relevant, right? So we got to say that, no, marriage doesn't have to be man and woman. Marriage can be anything you want it to be. Wow. that Just go down that rabbit hole. And where does that lead? It is not in a good place. There's a reason that God designed us male and female. He is the one that said what marriage is. And we just don't get to tell him that, well, sorry, God, we think you're wrong and it should have been this. But a mark of cultural Christianity is to take something that is a scriptural truth, like marriage, like gender, like the idea that there can be many paths. You know, you've heard that one. Oh, we think there's many ways to heaven. No, that's just taking something that we want to accommodate it to our culture. And we want to make it a little more comfy. I love Malachi 3.6 because it's just, it's a short little verse, just the beginning of it. it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Man, do I love that. I love that God is steadfast, that he just doesn't change. We are so changing. We are fickle people. We change our mind. We change our tastes. We change our hair color, right? But the Lord never, never changes. So his word does not change. And what he has said in Genesis as male and female, when he has said in Genesis what marriage is, that a man shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh, all of those things are just as true from the time of the garden as they are today, because he never, ever, ever changes. God's word does not change. That to me is just, oh, that's like comforting. It's peaceful because we don't have to be freaked out that, man, maybe a study is going to come out and, you know, it's going to turn out that God actually wants to do it this way. Nope, he doesn't because God doesn't change. God never changes. I love that. But a side of cultural Christianity is that they're going to want to redefine some scriptural truths in order to accommodate culture. I've got quite a few more on this list. So I'm actually going to push this podcast into a part two. So we're going to do some next week. So I'm sorry you're going to have to wait a full week for a little bit more of this list. And also definitely tune in because we want to talk about some good news that maybe if there's some things that you have 
you know, tiptoed into some of this stuff, man, it's all good <laughs> in that we can acknowledge the times, the ways in which we are giving into culture. We can see that and we can repent of that. So I, I definitely want to end this conversation on cultural Christianity with that. So make sure you tune in next week when we finish this list and then give us that. But there's been a lot here for us to think about already. And there's a lot of scripture here that I encourage you to go look and see what it says. But one of the main things that I just want to have you guys pray about and think about, and maybe mark a little bit, the things that you see in maybe your own circle of friends, or maybe things that you have said or given into, or maybe books that you've started to read, or different influencers that you've allowed to influence you. And where are are they pointing you to a cultural definition of what Christianity should look like? Or are they pushing you towards what God's word says and what we it it defines for us to what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because this is one, there is 100% a right and a wrong, okay? This is not like there's multiple ways to boil an egg. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. And this is something you don't want to be on the wrong side of because it has eternal ramifications to it. There's that a little bit terrifying scripture in Matthew that always gives me pause and makes me think about who exactly is Jesus talking to in this passage. But in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a terrifying scripture right there. That there are people that I think this could very rightly be looking at a cultural Christian, one who says that they are a Christian, but they are not determining what that means based off scripture. They're determining those things based on what culture has dictated, or even maybe what just them, what they have dictated as this is what truth is to me. We don't get to do that. We don't get to define our own truth. We don't get to do any of those things. The word of God is the thing that does that. So I think this exploration of what it means to be a cultural Christian, what that looks like is really, really important. Because we want to make sure that we are rightly looking to the word of God to, to say, man, am I following Jesus the way he says I should follow him? Am I being truly obedient to his word? Or am I kind of doing some of these things we listed where I'm denying that maybe scripture is not all inspired? Maybe I don't need all of it. Maybe we're downplaying some of the harder passages that we just, those ones are not the fun ones to talk about. But it's an incredibly important thing for us to realize that those are lies of the enemy. And yep, it's absolutely a spiritual darkness. It is a spiritual battle that's being fought for you to give in, for me to give in to believing the lies that culture would say that it's okay to be a cultural Christian and say that that's the same thing as just being a Christian. It's all fine. It's a Christian. It doesn't matter. It really does matter. And so we want to see what our Bible say about this. So Stay tuned. Next week, I'm going to keep going on this list. And hopefully this 
kind of provoke some good conversations maybe with you and your kids, maybe with you and your family members or sisters, what whoever that you guys can kind of talk about these things. Because what we never want to do is listen to something that any of these scriptures say and just, you know, okay, great. I heard it. It's fine. And move on and not let it change us. That also falls into the camp of, you know, hearing what God's word says, or like, or like James says, where you see it, you look in the mirror, but you just walk away and you forgot what you look like. Let's make sure that we're really lining ourselves up to what God's word says and praying about these things and asking the Lord, hey, are there things that I've given into what culture has and its definition of what Christianity should look like? So I'll catch you guys next week and we'll continue this list on cultural Christianity. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com.